Uh, good morning, everyone. This is uh, Brad Hayes, Petrell Robertson Consulting, and I'm moderating uh, the session today, the fireside chat session on uh, conventional oil and gas. Uh, our guests today, who will be carrying the bulk of the conversation, are Mr. Miles Bosman, the Chief Operating Officer of Birchcliffe Energy, and Mr. Tim McMillan, who is the President of the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, or CAP. And we've got a lot of things to talk about today, uh, but what I'd like to do is to kick this conversation off with a, a bit of an introduction uh, about the oil and gas industry in general uh, before we get into some of the uh, finer details of what we expect to be uh, happening in Western Canada. So what I'd like, I'd like to invite Miles and Tim to do to kick this off is just to give us a few comments uh, about uh, the setting that we're in, the idea that we're in an energy transition uh, globally, and the uh, ambitions to reduce uh, carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gas emissions with a possible target of a net zero sometime in the middle of the 21st century. And I think these, you know, these ideas are very relevant uh, as background to understand where we might be going with the conventional oil and gas industry. So gentlemen, uh, if I could ask you to kick that off uh, and just give us a few thoughts on the background that we'll be uh, looking at with respect to conventional oil and gas. Uh, Tim, maybe I could ask you to go first. Sure, well, thank you for the opportunity and uh, it's a pleasure to join everyone today. Um, a little bit of background, and I'm going to juxtapose or maybe jump between a global perspective and a Canadian industry. And as I do that, uh, I will try and be clear which I'm speaking of. Um, we represent the upstream producers here in Canada. It has been a challenging seven years. Uh, we saw the price drop precipitously in 2007 for oil. Uh, gas prices have struggled for several years. And we saw globally a pullback in investment in oil and gas after the 2014 price collapse. What we then saw was several years where global investments were increasing and Canada kept decreasing. Canada actually kept losing capital investment from a high of $83 billion in 2014 to last year, 2020, we thought was going to be the rebound year that we would rebound back up to 27 billion. And then the COVID uh, challenges hit us and we dropped back down to just over $24 billion worth of capital investment in the upstream. Globally, there was a substantial pullback as well through the COVID period. We saw many of our companies very challenged with uh, with the financial crisis that accompanied the health crisis. Uh, we worked very hard on behalf of our members to work with governments, uh, to position the Canadian industry to be supportive as we came out of the, uh, the health crisis and we're looking for recovery. I think that we actually were able to maintain a relatively stable and healthy industry where today, um, companies are seeing prices that have rebounded back to well higher than pre-COVID levels for both uh, for gas and uh, slightly higher for oil. Uh, we see cash flows uh, that are, are very healthy in our industry. We are seeing what is being called a, 
a disciplined growth from most companies. And uh, maybe we can get into that a little bit more as we go forward. Um, just a, a quick reflection on the global. Global demand has continued to grow rapidly over the last several decades. The COVID crisis actually was the first time we saw demand for oil decrease um, and gas as well. The International Energy Agency expects that demand for both oil and gas will get back to record levels within a year and will continue to grow out to the end of their forecast in 2040. And at the end of their forecast, that oil and gas will make up over half of all energy demand in the world. And uh, that's where you uh, had mentioned the transition narrative is often put forward by people that are talking about a transition off oil and gas, where the best prediction is that the globe is transitioning to a world where oil and gas make up over half of all energy demand. And the question I think for us in Canada is, how big of a role will Canada play in the global energy demand, or will we focus too much on domestic issues to play a meaningful role? So thank you for the opportunity. Great perspective. Uh, thank you very much, Tim. And, and Miles, I know that you have some definite opinions in this area too. And uh, I should have said energy transformation instead of energy transition and inviting you to speak, but uh, I'll let you, I'll let you uh, take that ball. Well, thank you very much, Brad. And uh, I'd like to thank the CSPG for the invitation to uh, be on this panel today. Uh, I think Tim hit on a lot of the key points that come to mind uh, on this theme, but uh, I am very concerned about the industry and in turn, all those that uh, rely on the capital it generates. I think many of our leaders are forgetting about uh, what our industry did for the GDP and the history of the quality of life that we currently enjoy. And we got some very important decisions coming up that, uh, can make it worse or better for our industry and be looking for more optimism of where we're going. On the comment of the energy transition, or as Brad said, I like the word better transformation. And uh, just to explain that a little, um, I've, the alarmists have uh, trained us to think that uh, transition is going from oil and gas or fossil fuels to some other forms of renewable or other new energies. Um, as Tim mentioned, the not only the IEA, but the EIA and many other respectable uh, publications predict that energy demand is going to continue to grow. There's a lot of places in the world that have been deprived of energy for a long time, and it's their turn to have a higher quality of life and for uh, them to have the opportunity to utilize energy to create that. Um, the idea that uh, we can transition off, I think, is unrealistic in any of those cases, looking out 2040 or 2050, which is where I prefer the transition of we're doing a good job, especially in Canada, but we can do a much better job of producing and using oil and gas. And that's the transition as far as looking into green technologies, new ideas as to how to how to do our business better and on those that use the energy, how they can be using it better to have a better net effect on what we should all be concerned about is our environment and the climate. And I think there's lots of things we can be doing to handle that transition and to have both sides win. And we've got a robust industry 
and a high quality climate. And we'll get into a little more of the details with that introduction. Great. Thank you very much, gentlemen. And I certainly am uh, uh, in strong agreement with your viewpoints, particularly with respect to the likely future course of energy transformations or transitions. There's uh, absolutely no doubt that uh, oil and gas will be in considerable demand for quite a long period of time. And, and Tim quoted some uh, more, more accurate or more, more precise estimates, I guess, uh, from various organizations. Uh, it, it's uh, becoming very much more uh, common in the literature that I see with respect to international business as well as Canadian business that people are realizing that we do need oil and gas for quite a long period of time ahead. So that uh, sets the stage for us to start talking a little bit more detail about uh, conventional oil and gas uh, in Canada. And so I've got a couple of questions here that I'd like to put forward to you. Uh, the first is, what is the near-term outlook for conventional oil and gas drilling and production and service companies in Western Canada? And, and what do these companies need in their business plans to prosper? So, Miles, let's, uh, let's get you started on this one, please. Thank you, Brad. Um, I'd like to uh, turn that around just a little and say, well, what are our current challenges? Uh, Tim mentioned the banking world, that uh, the big banks that have been the cornerstone of the success of the Canadian industry have been uh, walking away and not supporting us to the same degree. A uh, specific number is uh, the small, medium and intermediate Canadian companies had a year ago $63 billion on the books of the banks, and that's now down 40% to $39 billion. So the banks have been reducing uh, how much exposure they want to the Canadian energy. Capital markets, different thing, publicly traded companies currently are trading at two to four times cash flow. Historically, we we're looking at six to eight or up to 10 times. Um, so we're trading at a very below multiple, so people don't want to be pr uh, printing uh, equity with those types of multiples. And oil and gas stocks represent uh, just under 5% of the total market cap of the TSX, uh, which is down from uh, uh, about 18% 10 years ago. Uh, another big challenge we got is skilled labor. Uh, we currently have 150 rigs running in Canada and around 500 in the U.S. And many people feel that we are maxed out on the skilled labor with the challenges and changes we've seen in this last downturn. So it's uh, going to be challenging to get more rigs working and more completion crews. And so those are some of the main challenges that we have in front of us that we need to be dealing with as we're focusing and moving forward, which leads to what do you need to do to be successful? It's keep your balance sheet clean. And that's where we used to be levered or over levered for the ability to grow. That just isn't available to us due to banking world and the capital markets and we can't rely on that going forward so we need to be self-funded we need to pay down debt and have free cash flow so that we have the ability to grow within our existing cash flow so you'll see a lot of our peers birchcliff included with the theme of over the next couple of years paying down debt we anticipate we can pay our debt down in the next two to three years 
and return cash to shareholders. And that can be through dividends, share buybacks, and other forms of getting cash in shareholders' hands. So that's a key change of what we need to be doing and where the industry needs to be focusing. Um, e is what Birchcliff is, but I think those same fundamentals apply to the service companies. Miles, if I could just ask a quick supplemental question then. So uh, your, your advice about the balance sheets and so on seems very... Uh, very reasonable in this climate, and you, you uh, at Birchcliff and some of your peers are following that advice. Do you see uh, uh, companies in the Canadian oil and gas industry that are not following that type of strategy, or has it pretty well been universally embraced? I think if you uh, looked at uh, the forecasts and the uh, one-year budgets and the five-year plans that have uh, been released publicly, um, that it's generally paid out debt, moderate growth. There's a few companies that are showing some uh, more aggressive growth, but they're generally smaller companies that don't have a big impact on the bottom line. So see the net production out of Western Canada being relatively stagnant and it's uh, just available access to capital to do the growth that uh, we're not seeing and then not having the skilled labor and the equipment to ramp up production significantly and i believe those same fundamentals apply to the u.s as well well that's certainly very interesting and your comment about being maxed out for field staff at 150 rigs is a bit scary considering that through you know much of our careers we were looking more like three and four hundred rigs operating uh, in Western Canada. So, so Tim, a similar sort of question, but I think you've got perhaps some more uh, global perspectives for us from the CAP point of view. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, Miles laid out uh, a pretty solid reflection that uh, I'm just going to build a few pieces on. Uh, we put out a forecast for capital investment in Canada for 2021. Um, I referenced earlier that we we had last year's capital investment in the upstream at 24 billion. We think it's going to rise by a little over three billion dollars this year to 27 billion. That is still way down from where it was in 2014. But to put in context, it is still the largest private sector investment into the Canadian economy. It's bigger than forestry. It's bigger than transport. It's bigger than than uh, really anything else. Adding $3 billion to the Canadian economy is impactful. And we are mid-year, and we think that it might be on the modest side a little bit. So at end of year, when we reconcile it, it might be a little higher than we even expected. Um, <clears throat> to what are the successful companies uh, doing today? I think Miles's comment about debt is something I'm hearing widely. Um, paying down debt is key. Uh, it's being, one, driven by the banking syndicates. Uh, two, it gives just an incredibly strong platform for these companies to operate with some of the uncertainties around uh, around banking uh, activists and some of those challenges. Um, I think the successful companies are doing everything that you would expect a successful company should do. The constraints on labor are real. The best companies are the ones that are developing talent and uh, are looking at medium and long-term 
for their growth because when labor gets scarce, it's those companies that uh, that are most successful. Um, I heard a story yesterday that uh, I think gave me some some hope that we saw over the last since 2014 rigs leaving Canada, packing up and being shipped to the U.S. to to drill in the Permian or in Oklahoma. That uh, there are several rigs, I think it was three or five, that are currently being scheduled to return to Canada. And that is no small endeavor. That's a substantial cost for an upstream producer that wants to add capacity. And uh, I think that that's something we probably should celebrate publicly because that's reversing a trend. Um, I think that successful companies are looking at their markets, that uh, for a long time, Canada had a very hungry customer south of the border. We still do, but they have become far more self-sufficient. And when we look at global trends, 60% of the growth over the next two decades is going to come from two countries, India and China. And Canada's capacity to connect to China is really as good as or better than all of the other major producers with the coastline shipping distances. Um, we have one LNG facility under construction. At one point, we had 16 in development. Uh, today, we have a far smaller number, but some of those projects are very focused. And uh, I think the companies that are looking to connect with that growing market are, are one, doing a service to Canada, but are also positioning themselves for medium and long-term success. Great. Thank you for that, Tim. Uh, one topic I'd like to uh, touch on just briefly is we hear a lot in, in the business press and, and just about everywhere actually about uh, ESG standards for Canadian oil and gas. And uh, can you fellows give us some perspective on how important you feel that high SG, ESG standards are for our industry? And how do we stand in the global marketplace in terms of the, uh, of the reputation of Canadian oil and gas with respect to ESG standards? Um, Miles, I'll go back to you on this one. Great. Thank you, Brad. Um, I get frustrated on this topic sometimes is that uh, I'm very proud of what uh, we at Birchcliffe have done over the years. Uh, I was one of the founders and we've been at it 17 years and 17 years ago when we're making decisions, ESG was a key part of all the decisions that we make and uh, environmental, social and governance, they are very important. Um, and as an industry, we've done an excellent job. We've been leading the way with the world in clean tech technology and how to get it out of the ground cheaper. Methane venting would be one particular one that I think is underappreciated by a lot of people. That Methane is way worse for the atmosphere than CO2 or a lot of other things that we talk about. And in Canada, we've had strict uh, methane re release uh, uh, restrictions. And the US, they have been very weak. And in the world, it's even weaker. That one of the worst things for the environment is releasing methane. And the world hasn't been doing much about it. Canada's been doing an excellent job. And this is where the challenge now is on a global stage to say, hey, where's your methane um, currently and where are you going to go in the future? Well, Canada's been doing such a good job for us to improve on it is a lot tougher than guys in the 
Bakken, for an example, have been flaring all the associated gas or most of it. And for them to tie it in now with gas prices being better, there's economics of it as well. They can come a long way in the improvements in the U.S. on methane in particular. Globally, same thing. So there's a lot of key criteria from an ESG perspective that Canada has been leading the way. And we haven't been bragging about it. We haven't been showing off what we're doing. And a challenge of it is there's no global um, measuring uh, measuring survey or uh, specifics that are well recognized throughout the industry that we can say, what is our global uh, effect? We're a low intensity uh, environmentally friendly producer from all measures that are reasonable to measure. Uh, we've had a ESG or uh, report for a number of years now that if you look at our numbers as a company or Canada's numbers as a whole, we continue to stand out against the US and the world companies. And I think there's a huge opportunity for us to do a better job of marketing the successes that we've had on ESG and where it is heading. And uh, that in itself, just marketing ourselves better. There is significant room for improvement. That's why I think the investment in the transition, a key thing that we're involved in is the Natural Gas Innovation Fund. It's got industry money and federal money that's looking to fund new startup uh, green tech companies. And it's on all aspects of our business. And we're seeing some amazing new ideas and technologies that we can be applying and we can improve what we're doing. But we've done a really good job as an industry for the last 20 years, and we just haven't been talking enough about it. Thanks, Miles. And, and, and Tim, uh, do, you, do you see the same perspectives from a, a global point of view? I mean, do other uh, countries respect our, our ESG standards? And is it a positive thing for Canada and the world marketplace? You know, I, I think it certainly helps Canada position itself as the supplier of choice. If you care about the greenhouse gas impacts of your LNG shipment, it should be coming from Canada. If you want to invest in the highest standard oil, well, it, it's Canadian. If you look at the global top 10 producers, we really stand alone. And if you look at just the regulatory and legal framework in which we operate in, that alone sets us apart. But uh, as Miles noted, they, their company and almost all of the companies in Canada are putting out their unique ESG metrics uh, the culture here in Canada of continuous improvement leaves us in a position where, regardless of you know what we did last year, we're going to try and find a way to do it with a smaller footprint, with less water, with less emissions next year. And we know that five years from now, we're going to build upon the successes of this year. It's good business. It uh, It is something that most other jurisdictions don't even have the capacity to do that. And as we're looking at some of the big global challenges, if Canada isn't finding these innovative solutions and sharing them around the world, it's not going to happen. Um, so I think that that is a real positive for us. One of the challenges is that thus far, there has been very little premium paid. 
even by the mm. European countries that are are talking uh, substantially about climate impacts, they will pay no more for a gigajoule of Canadian gas than they will for a Russian-produced or a Saudi Middle Eastern-produced um, yeah. barrel or gigajoule. And, uh, and I hope that changes, but regardless, Canada will continue to find ways in which we will improve upon on our performance. And maybe just one story of comparison to build on the story or the comments Miles made. Back in the last few months of the Obama administration, they partnered with Canada to do a 45% reduction on methane. As Miles noted, methane is one of the largest contributors to greenhouse gas um, impacts. And as soon as the administration changed in the U.S., they stepped away from their commitment, as did Mexico. Canada carried on. We are on track to hitting our 45% reduction and potentially even beating it. It doesn't come without costs. There is a financial impact to put in the different uh, valves and technology and to do things differently. And if we can all do it consistently across North America, it makes it far more economic. But uh, regardless, we went it alone and uh, that positions us as even further ahead of the competition. Great, thanks, Tim. Uh, unfortunately, I see we're just about out of time here, but I'd like to uh, close things out on a uh, uh, optimistic note, if you will. Uh, and just briefly, what do you gentlemen see as being the, the opportunities ahead in the Canadian oil and gas industry? Uh, and one point I would like, if we could address uh, particularly, we've talked a bit about labor uh, with uh, reference to particularly uh, field staff out on the rigs. Uh, but I'm still regularly having coffee with uh, new geoscience grads and new engineering grads who are looking, looking uh, to understand what their career possibilities might be. Uh, I do tell them that there's still lots of life left in conventional oil and gas and that there are other things that we are doing in Canada to build on those, uh, on those subsurface skills that they have learned or are learning. Uh, so, uh, ask you uh, ask you gentlemen what your viewpoints might be on on some of those opportunities um tim why don't we start with you this time sure uh you know i keep it fairly brief but uh with the oil and gas industry and the technology that has enabled us to get to our current production levels and to do it in the sustainable ways that we are um we're not going to we're not going to deviate from that path. We're going to continue to invest in technology and innovation to drive down emissions for both oil and gas. You know, today there's a lot of talk about hydrogen, about carbon capture. Those may play a, a substantial role in the future and and be something that uh, is is big in the Canadian consumption. I would say, however, that. When we look at global demand trends, the base business of producing energy and oil and gas specifically are what will enable those new technologies to be developed. They may be huge. They may be just part of the equation 10, 20 years from now, but uh, the base business is solid and is really the not just the basis of the Canadian economy, but the basis of the future Canadian economy as well. Thank you. Uh, Miles? Well, Brad, you're tied to the uh, new grads. Um, 
I've been working with one of the professors up at the university and he informed me uh, talking about three things. So I understand that the petroleum landman pro program at the U of C is shut down. The geolo geology department is one tenth of what it was a few years ago. And petroleum geology, uh, petroleum geology and petroleum engineering at the University of Calgary is at risk as well. It's down to less than 25% of where it was. So these new grads that we need to be uh, getting downtown and being a part of uh, this industry and growing it in the future, uh, the resources there are dwindling instead of growing. Um, as far as the Canadian industry and our competitiveness, I'll refer to a Bank of Montreal report that just came out on global energy supply costs. It puts North America very favorably and Canada is at the top of the cost structure. A different report by Raymond James, it's focused on the North American shale um, industry and it's comparing each of the basins in the U.S. to the Canadian basins, and it highlights that Canada has some of the best shale plays, and Birchcliff's in on the Montney play, which is one of the best plays from an economic and technical perspective. Um, ESG is part of that, and that again shows Canada on the high end of the metrics that they measure. Um, Growing the oil and gas production through advancing technologies, controlling costs, and marketing our ESG performance is a huge opportunity. And then there's another side to it with the knowledge that subsurface and surface learnings from oil and gas, as we go through this transformation that we've been talking about, there's alternative uses for those learnings in geothermal, sequestration, helium, hydrogen. So the skill sets that we're, we've developed for oil and gas can be applied to some of these new areas. Bottom line, I'm proud of our industry. We've done a great job of delivering high quality uh, energy to the world, but there's a big opportunity we need government support, we need pipelines, we need access to tidewater, and uh, Canadian gas and LNG is the most optimistic I am about where we can be providing energy. Great. Well, thank you very much. I'm, I'm glad we we're able to close on that uh, optimistic note. We've got lots of things to do uh, in the future. And thank you, Miles. Thank you, Tim, for highlighting those for us. I hope that our audience at the at Geo Convention uh, is, uh, uh, will have a look at this talk and come away uh, a little bit more optimistic about what our future is like. So thank you very much again, gentlemen. Thank you. Appreciate yep. it. Bye-bye okay. now. Bye.